Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the Cognicast, a podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people who create it. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Uh, let's see, a couple uh, meetup and uh, activity type things to mention to you today. The first is the Triclosure meetup at the Ad Zurich offices in Durham, North Carolina. Triclosure is the uh, Durham area, Durham, uh, Raleigh, Chapel Hill, I guess, area uh, meetup for closure. Uh, like I said, that'll be at the Ad Zurich offices. That's May 26th. This is 2016 at 7 p.m. And you can find them online by looking for Triclosure. That's T-R-I, closure, meetup. Uh, a couple closure bridges to mention for you. Of course, all information about closure bridges can be found at www.closurebridge.org. Uh, the two coming up that I see on their calendar are in Oulu, Finland, O-U-L-U, Finland. That's June 3rd and 4th. And there's another one in Berlin, June 17th and 18th. I think that's all we're going to uh, mention today. There's a million things going on in the closure universe. We love to talk about them, but uh, we will go ahead and get on to episode 102 of the Cognicast. To, to fire let's, it up? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. All right, well, welcome, everybody. Today is Tuesday, March 15th in 2016, and this is the Cognicast. And I am very pleased today to welcome our guest, Bruce Howman. He is the author of Fig Wheel. Uh, you've probably seen his name a lot in conjunction with ClojureScript and a bunch of other things that we're going to talk about. So uh, welcome to the show, Bruce. Well, it's great to be here. Well, we're, we're certainly thrilled. Uh, your name has come up a bunch of times um, over the last few months uh, in a variety of contexts, um, but certainly in the discussions around the, around the office who we should have on the show. So I'm glad we, we're making it happen. <laughs> but uh, we always start the show with a question that I warned you about, uh, which relates to an experience of art. We kind of like art on the show. We think it's uh, software is about people. Art is certainly about people. And so we always like to ask our guests to relate some experience of art they've had, whatever that means to them. Hopefully you've had a chance to think of something you wanted to share with our audience today. There are a couple things. A couple things come to mind. Art. The, the I would say my most important experience of art is when I went to uh, Chicago, went to Second City for two weeks, and then I did a I.O. improv for two weeks. And it was basically no for seven weeks total. I basically studied improv in Chicago, and there were a lot of interesting experiences there. But the the the, the most compelling one that came to me through it all was this idea of being present and, and facing the world uh, as it is. And, uh, and, and when you're doing improv, you know, the, the enemy of like facing the world and being present to it is resistance, right? Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. Uh, and various other narratives that go through our head about, uh, you know, what we don't want. And so, uh, yeah, that there were some sublime experiences with that. And actually one story in particular, uh, this incredible instructor who studied uh, uh, French clowning had us all stand on stage one at a time and, and walked us through a relaxation and made us actually just reveal ourselves and become more vulnerable in, in who we are on stage in front of people. And one of the most interesting, like compelling moments is watching somebody like that. It's it's somebody vulnerable, like on stage all by themselves, not saying anything, but just being very real and very present is compelling in itself. And, uh, it, it, you know, and so the instructor stopped us and said, look, this is compelling by itself. If you do anything in addition to just being present, make sure it's worthy of the space. Uh, I'll never forget that. That's really interesting. And, and it's funny because in, in a way it sounds like the opposite of comedy, right? It sounds very, very serious. And, and I, I, I'm willing to admit that I uh, – well, so I, I will say I, I understand a little bit at least that being serious and comedy are not – really opposites but at the same time 
there's a juxtaposition there that really strikes me. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're there, it's very serious. <laughs> 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 when you're there, you know, it's you you think of it as all fun and games, but uh, you know. <laughs> I, you know, I went there not to become a comedian. Uh, I went there to just kind of wake up again and get out of the whatever rhythm, current rhythm my life was in day after day after day, which tends to make things, uh, you know, the life can take on a pall if you just keep going through the same motions and the same routines. So I went there to shake it up and because I knew it would. It was like there's no way in heck you're going to get out of this without uh, being affected. But it's hard, right? Like you get on stage and there's instant feedback, whether you're being present and available to what's going on. I mean, instant feedback, right? Like somebody says something to you and you just crumble into a million pieces. You know that you're not present for what's going on and that you're kind of caught up in your own drama. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, it's, it's, these people do serious work, you know, Steve Carell, uh, you know, all these people who seem like they're just playing around have worked uh, tremendously hard and tremendously seriously. <laughs> mm. uh, if I'm using serious in the right in the right context. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm curious, did it work? Like you wanted to shake up. You said you knew it would. It sounds like it did. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no you can't. You know, it's just one of those things like, you know, if you say, you know, if you sign up for this event or go to such and such a thing that you had a time, you're going to come back affected. And yes, I was affected. It, it, uh, um, it's, it's good to be present for life. And that's, that's kind of what improv, uh, teaches in that there's a lot more there. Uh, there's a lot more there, uh, available to you than you actually think. Uh, so you know, <laughs> awesome. These are all big thoughts. I mean, I I don't know what else to say. <laughs> no, no, that's great stuff. That's great stuff. Okay, well, that is a really cool story. But I think we will shift gears slightly and maybe ask you about some of the other th interesting things that you have been doing. Um, and I, I don't know where to start. I actually have to admit, um, the two things that I've heard your name in conjunction with, or the things, several things I've heard your name in conjunction with are actually not things that I have been spending a whole lot of time with. Um, and one of them is certainly fig wheels. A and I, I will say right now, like, my colleagues at, um, at, at Cognitech are quite impressed. I've, people have just been dropping praise on it in our, you know, hip chat rooms and whatever. Um, <laughs> but, but I've never used it myself. I just haven't been doing um, any closure script work. So I wonder if you would mind explaining to a fig wheel ignoramus like myself what it is and then maybe give us some of the background on how you developed it and how you see it helping people, et cetera, and so forth. Yeah. Well, FigWheel is, you know, it's both a tool to develop, to help you develop ClojureScript. And it's kind of a proof of concept about, uh, it's kind of a proof of concept in that what, you know, what does a workflow where your code gets automatically loaded for you as your coding look like? And um, so it started as an experiment where yeah, so FigWheel, you know, engages the closure script compiler uh and on on file changes. So you know if a file changes, uh it compiles your closure script code and then sends a message through a WebSocket to the browser, and the browser does some calculations of what you know, the client code does some calculations and then tries its best to reload the appropriate files in the appropriate order. Uh, to kind of, you know, it does its best to deliver a, a fast, seamless reloading experience. Um, does that make sense? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, okay. it's, it's not terribly dissimilar from s to some of the things that we have on the, uh, the JVM side. Yeah, it, it's not, not, not really. It, it, it came about because, um, Initially, ClojureScript, working with ClojureScript was, uh, you know, it was it was challenging. You know, it was new, and it was supposed to be challenging. Um, and the REPL was very, was, was difficult to get going. And, you know, I found the development experience uh, 
<laughs> intolerable. You know, I found it, you know, I loved the language I loved and I wanted to see it uh, work well. And I wanted my flow to be, uh, you know, fun. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it started, it started from that frustration. But then I was like, you know, I, the experience I want is I want to be able to change my code and see the changes immediately in the browser. You know, that's, this is the experience I want. I think it's the experience, like, you know, it's an experience that most developers want. And it's something that Clojure delivers pretty well, you know. Um, Clojure Script has some advantages in that, uh, you know, once you redefine something, it's redefined. You know, the, the Clojure Script doesn't have VARs in the sense that Clojure has VARs. So uh, you can get, you know, everything's redefined and presents kind of a unified uh, landscape. Does that make a consistent landscape? Whereas if I redefine this function, everything that refers to this function uh, should get the new behavior. Does that make sense? Yep, gotcha. Following you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and it turns out, yeah, it turns out uh, it worked pretty. It worked pretty well, and it's been working really well for me, and I think a lot of other people as well. And I don't know. It makes me really happy that. Um, a lot of people are embracing this live reloading uh, workflow because, you know, something about it that bypasses the REPL interaction. It's nice to have the REPL interaction to do, to do, you know, uh, you know, testing functions and seeing if this, if this uh, phrase of code works and testing if that phrase of code works, but, you know, to see how the, the whole application is behaving as a result of this change immediately uh, is is really nice, and it's it's something that that fits the particular landscape of working in the browser um, pretty well, I think. So, what is it about the the particular landscape? I mean, what are you referring to there? I mean, you uh, know? It, yeah, yeah. What were you gonna say? No, no, that's it. Go ahead. Oh, just just that uh, browser browser applications, and especially with the event of you know, they have a particular character. They they have a you know. They're displaying something in the DOM. Uh, you normally have some state associated with it, and the DOM is reflecting the state. And so this particular architecture, um, especially with the advent of a React, um, is receptive to just you know pushing the compiled uh, JavaScript into the browser. Does that make sense? Uh, somewhat. I guess I wonder if you could take me a little bit deeper on that. Cause I mean, I could imagine okay. sort of arbitrary state that I've built up in the course of, um, you know, building an application and I can't imagine that any, uh, utility figwheel included, maybe I'm wrong, but I can't imagine yeah, yeah, any yeah. utility would be able to recover me to some arbitrary point that I've somehow navigated to in the course of development. Uh, I, I hear what you're saying. And yes, it, like, if I hear what you're saying, um, you know, the encouragement, like FigWheel comes with a cost and the cost or this, this development style, whether it's FigWheel or another tool comes at a cost. And that is, you know, you, you need to be conscious of the load time side effects of your code. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, totally. It's, yep. You know, so you don't get reloading for free. Nobody, I, and I don't think anybody gets it. I think maybe someday, you know, a Haskell or an Elm might get reloading for free. Uh, something a, a lot more pure. But it, it, now, if I understand your question correctly, I think you're saying that, um, yeah, arbitrary state can get built up in your, in your browser. And it, it can cause inconsistencies, uh, just like, you know, just like the REPL. Yeah, it's, that that's exactly it. And so I guess what I'm trying to understand as someone who hasn't used FigWheel is, um, you know, I'm going along and there is some implied workflow and it's one that fits well with how people uh, tend to write uh, based on, you know, hearing my friends say this, this is <laughs> awesome, like it obviously fits well with what they're trying to do. So what is that workflow? Like what is, what is the, you know, you're going along and you're doing things a certain way and that way is what that FigWheel fits well with okay. it. Well, I mean, just to, just to draw like a, you know, a caricature of like an architecture that people normally work with is, you know, a single atom, right? So have a single source of truth, like, like an atom, and then the views are derived from the atom. And then events basically fire transitions on that atom. You know, the atom fires 
you know, fires a watch and then the page is re-rendered. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, now when, you know, if most of your code on this page, you know, are, are functions like react, you know, react components can be considered pure functions in a sense because of the way they're rendered into the DOM. So that's a whole slew of your code that can just be reloaded. All right. And then your functional transitions on the atom is a whole slew of code that can just be reloaded. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even, even code, even side effect firing code, uh, can be reloaded whole hog. If it's, I, you know, if it's based on, you know, uh, a namespace identifier or var, you know, as long as it's attached to an identifier in a namespace, if it gets reloaded, it's, there's new behavior is available normally across the board, unless you've captured, you know, an honest to goodness, hard reference to it somewhere. Okay. All right. I'm following. That makes sense that that's all pretty, pretty general, not, not especially limiting. I mean, you know, the idea of, of, um, as you say, you know, having an atom and transitions again on atom on that atom and dealing with events like that that encompasses a lot of stuff. <laughs> it encompasses, yeah, a great deal. In fact, you know, the the places where people seem to have the most trouble with FigWheel is they want to make a go loop, and they want to make it reloadable. Like a go loop is, you know, a, a particular thing with its own state, right? As it goes through its state machine, and you know, they'll they'll either define it top level, you know, with a, a single def, they'll say, here, I've created this loop, or, or they store it somewhere, and then they want to modify it, and they don't understand, uh, you know, they just don't understand that it can't just be reloaded. Uh, so th- that seems to be like the most confusion that people seem to be having. Uh, but I'm not, you know, I'm not watching everybody use FigWheel. And yeah, uh, so I actually wanted to ask you about that. You know, you you said you're not watching everyone use FigWheel, but at the same time, it seems to have become, uh, from my view on the sidelines, quite popular. Were you surprised by the by the reception of it? Oh, of course. Uh, you know, it was it was surprised by two things. I was surprised by initially, I was surprised by the slow start. Like nobody, you know, nobody, you know, <laughs> it seemed really anonymous at first. And then um, I expected people to use it, but I didn't. I didn't realize that it was gonna just, um, you know, take off like this. I guess take off in you know in terms of our relative, relatively small community, and it, and it pleases me to no end that that's the case. Very cool. Um, have you heard any uh, like especially interesting uh, anecdotes or stories from people, or or gotten any especially interesting feedback? I guess I'd say about their use of FigWheel or the things it's enabled them to do or anything like that? There's a lot of, I mean, like, it's, I don't know, I feel very lucky because my, my you know, if you look at my Twitter feed, are people calling out my name, they're constantly saying thank you, they're constantly saying, wow, I can't believe I'm having this experience. Uh, you know, FigWheel rock. I mean, it's really, it's really nice, and I really appreciate that feedback. I, you know, some people tell stories about, you know, uh, I think it was, uh, somebody told a story about, you know, they, they found a bug, they told their workmate about it. He did, you know, he did a, he integrated the, he integrated the change by doing a pull from GitHub and then the change showed up in his browser. Right. (laughs) So, you know, like the very, you know, the components he's working on the browser had a bug he left the browser open, pulled the code into his code base, and you know the change just showed up right in front of him. So I don't know. That's fun. <laughs> that is pretty cool, actually. I don't know what it is. I mean, it's not it's not any different, right? Like you know, you get pulled, the code changes, it gets reloaded, but somehow that seems magical when you know a stranger on the internet can can modify your browser effectively. Yeah, exactly. It seems magical in the. I, I think it's what. I, I think it's mostly, you know, I don't know that there's anything terrific about FigWheel itself, but I think what it's competing against, it, or, or what it's, the juxtaposition is is reloading your browser, like, every 10 seconds, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, it's, it's constantly reloading your browser and constantly 
And that, you know, and this is the important part, losing the state that your application was in, right? Constantly, you know, you're, you're, it's a fresh start and, you know, you filled out 20 form fields to get to this particular state that you're having trouble with. You reload the browser and, okay, all the form fields are empty. You know, you either write a script to refill in those fields or you, you know, there's nothing there to help you. Um, and so I think it's more a reaction to the state, you know, the status quo, which is changing as well, right? Like hot reloading is becoming a very much a thing in the JavaScript world as well. So, so to what extent is this uh, linked to React? I mean, again, knowing nothing, is it is it the case that without React, FigWheel wouldn't exist, or they play well together, or where where is it on that spectrum? Um, I think basically. React made hot, you know, hot reloading much, 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 it, you know, like there's a cost to thinking about the load time side effects of your code. And if you're working with jQuery or directly with a DOM, <laughs> you're going to have to carefully segment your code into this is not reloadable and this is reloadable, right? You're going to have to make sure like you make some blocks that are def once that can only, you know, the first time the file loads, you know, the set of code runs and blah, 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 right? So you, you have to put a lot more effort into it. But since you can just call React render, you know, with, hey, with this, you know, I want to render to this DOM element and it's an item potent call. Um, yeah, that changes that dramatically, right? All your listeners, you know, all your event listeners that are in the DOM, all this, all this stuff is just uh, handled by React. And so... It, it made it from being something that cost a lot to think about the load time side effects of your code to something that really costs very little. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense. So, so React is, yeah, it's a, it's a huge piece. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about React before on the show, and I think everybody's starting to become uh, familiar with the advantages there. So it, certainly, it, if code reloading is fig wheels, wheelhouse, fig wheelhouse, anyway, um, <laughs> then it makes sense that those two would play well together. Yeah. Um, where does the name come from? I haven't even read the README, obviously. I'm a terrible yeah, host. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what your research assistant is. Yeah, well, right. Yeah. My, I, am, <laughs> I am thrilled beyond thrilled that I get the, the already in, in, incredible amount of help that I do. I would not, uh, I don't want to even seem moderately ungrateful. I could at least go read the README, and I haven't done that. So, mea culpa on that one. Okay. I think, you know, uh, the, na the name came from. <laughs> It, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to look at the readme. So no, because yeah, now we're getting to the point where I'm gonna start tripping over my tongue in this uh, interview. So um, it's it's a like instead of a REPL, it's not a REPL, right? It's a, not a read eval print loop. It's a file eval GUI loop. Ah, right. So you can almost get there from there, right? Gotcha. File eval GUI loop, and I said I said it out loud, F you know, fagel, you know, F and then I added the GUI fag wheel, and then fig wheel, and then I looked it up, and, and there's literally no references to anything. Always a good thing. So I was like, you know, that sounds good. Unfortunately, it's really hard to type. <laughs> Is it really? I I would, it doesn't seem like it would be. It's the H, your, your fingers want to put the H before the W. I, it's just a very strange uh, juxtaposition. For some reason, uh, G, G, W, H, E is, you know, it's a little strange. And so your fingers aren't used to it. And so it's, it's, you could type it wrong. Interesting. I'm, uh, I won't even bore you with, I'm like kind of into keyboards and typing, but I won't even bore you with that. I, I have to think about that one though. That's, that one's got my brain going. <laughs> Well, I, so I, I want to make sure that we cover some of the other things that you've done because you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're a very productive guy. Uh, we may have to come back to FigWheel at some point. But uh, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, um, at least one of the other things I want to talk to you about, is, uh, is dev cards, yeah. um, which is another thing that you've, uh, you've put out in the world. And uh, hopefully dev cards is easier for you to type. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but maybe you can, this is another one that I haven't used, but again, that I've heard people say this is a cool thing. So I wonder if you could take me through from the beginning on that one as well. You know, the, the idea for dev cards came shortly after the idea for FigWheel. And it's, it's funny because FigWheel came out before my 
before I even really became remotely aware of React. And then, but it was quickly thereafter that I became aware of React. And then, um, then the idea for dev cards came along. And it was just, it basically, it's again, it's kind of born out of experience. Like my experience of working with ClojureScript initially was, I love the language, you know, functional programming, immutable data types, you know, sold. But the experience was was difficult and it was staccato and it was hard to, you know, stay in the flow of things, the flow of creativity. And so uh, since I was focused on what was constraining my experience and what's the experience that I want, uh, since my mind was in that frame, um, I was like, I, I quickly got to the point where, you know, what I really want is I want to be able to take to create snippets of yeah, DOM examples or React examples and, and raise them up into an interface irrespective of uh, containing application, right? I want, I want a work area. I want a web app that's a work area for creating web apps. I want, I want latitude. I want to say, if I want to just try something crazy, um, I want to be able to type it out really quickly and see it uh, as an independent code example uh, in a web application. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in the, same, in the same sense that a REPL, you can try out a function independently of the rest of the functions. For the you know of the, of the functions it doesn't call obviously, so in a web app, what we normally do right is we <laughs> we develop in we've we've gone through the work of setting up an environment where we can see uh, our rendered our rendered application in the browser, and since that's kind of a heavy lift, you know to set everything up, we tend to to stay within that context which is a highly limiting context if you want to just try something out, you know? Well, I want to just hang this DOM in the middle of my page, you know, and see how it's, I want to just hang this, this, set, this uh, tree of React components in the middle of my page and see how they're behaving. You know, it's kind of hacky, and a lot of times the context doesn't, you know, the, the, out, the surrounding context doesn't actually allow you to do the thing you want to experiment with in the first place. And another thing is it's transient. You know, your little experiment, you, you tried it and it's gone. Uh, but what if you liked it and you want to grow it? You know, then you have to either bite the bullet and create an environment for it uh, before you keep going. So anyway, DevCards is, is to is basically create freedom uh, of expression uh, around all of this and it kind of grew into well you can write some you can write documentation and you can write your thought process and kind of a literate tool uh and test you know and it grew into testing and stuff like that so so the, from a visual standpoint the idea here is that i would have a page that would have little i don't know i guess uh you know chunks of of I, of self-contained ideas in it, and that I could individually uh, manipulate, modify them. Am I, is this correct? Does this sound yeah, right? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I hope I hope my explanation was clear. Oh, you know, I've actually had a hard time, I'm, and initially and throughout trying to explain like the <laughs> the reasoning behind it. But uh, hopefully, my my pitch is getting better. I think it is. I mean, no, it certainly yeah. made sense to me. I guess the part I'm not, I'm not clear on yet is, um, so it certainly makes sense from a sort of prototyping standpoint. From a, I have an idea and I want to, I want to mess around with it. Does it? Is there? How do dev cards, if at all, take me beyond that? In other words, there's the thing that I wind up with something that I can then uh, drop into an application or even better, multiple applications in in some way and is that way more aligned with copy and paste or is it more aligned with like a finished component or what's the experience there it's it's more i i would say if, if i'm understanding what you mean by a finished component uh finished component could be many things uh, uh a finished component could be just can can compose your whole application does that make sense mm. yeah. so right like if, you, if you're building up from components and, uh, you know, like you can get to a pretty high level 
before the dev cards environments be, becomes limiting, right? You can, and uh, so you can you can get pretty far into an application uh, before you're like, okay, I really need to put this into its own own environment. I mean, that's been my experience, but. But I, if somebody was going to back into like somebody already has an application running and they wanted to start using dev cards, the experience would be more like I'm going to work on this component independent of the application and then I'm going to drop the component in. Right. Because it's going to be very hard to, to dev cards in, encourages extremely independent components. Right. And so it's really hard to back. You, it's hard to back out of an application that's probably uh, pretty tightly coupled, mm-hmm. coupled. I always say couple just to sound sophisticated. <laughs> I was, you, you were so smooth. It went right by me. I was, I wasn't going to comment at all. You know, it's funny. I, I, I feel like there's an, uh, maybe you'll agree. Maybe not. I feel like there's a theme at least between fig wheel and dev cards and maybe other things in the following way. So we've said on the show a lot, and certainly I'm not the only person to say it by far that software is about people and I look at your work as you've described it and I say, okay, well, what, what Bruce has done is kind of recognize where people were running into walls in terms of the, uh, the, the sort of subjective or qualitative experience and, you know, knock down those walls or put a door in it or whatever metaphor you want to use. You know what I mean? Like it's it's we we have this idea that Rich articulated a long time ago, um, relative in internet years anyway. You know, simple versus easy, or or simple made easy. Um, I guess he wouldn't say simple versus easy. I don't I don't think he would say it's an either or situation. But but there's very much an element of you know let's take some of this simple and make it easy in your work if that makes if that makes any sense. I don't know. Do you does that seem like a a thing that you have? aspired to is to is to smooth the way or to add some easy into our lives or am i putting words in your mouth yeah i would say absolutely i would say that it's it's kind of an it's an empathetic response you know (laughs) to things that that seem difficult you know it's 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 both that and wanting to wanting to create a you know tools that i think uh, solve real problems for people, which I think is just another way of saying what you just said. Uh, tools that that solve maybe hit, like problems that we've become unconscious to, right? JavaScript developers, um, <laughs> right? They're very we became very used to just reloading the browser, and and kind of unconscious to the to the out, you know, what I would say the pain or the difficulty it caused. And it, it doesn't sound like a huge taxing thing, but when you do it every day, all day long, it, it, it's pretty taxing. And, um, and the same thing, like developing in, you know, with dev cards, developing inside the, uh, so yeah, developing inside the main application is like, it's just the way it's been done. It's just the way you do it, you know? And again, I feel like we became kind of unconscious to uh, the pain involved, uh, or you know the the constriction to our human expression uh, that that was causing. So, yeah, I would agree. I don't know if I answered that. No, you totally did. It, it, it raised another question, in, uh, though, which is as I think about some of the people I've I've talked to that are doing really interesting work, like yourself. It occurs to me that one of the things that they're able to do is to is to perceive the pain. I mean, I think everybody's heard the you know boiling a frog analogy, right? Like this yeah, water yeah. comes up slowly, you know. And I, I kind of feel like, to some degree at least, uh, maybe to a large degree, I'm I'm like a frog, right? Like you know, someone will come yeah. along and say, "Hey, man, why are you doing this thing? You're using this tool that that makes this thing really hard." And I'll be like, "Well, I don't know, I." I I learned it and then I just do it now. You know, it's just I kind of accept this this pain, this cost, this price, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And yet you and other people have been able to make cool things, um, you know, certainly by uh, coming up with good solutions. 
but also by um, by noticing the problem in the first place. And, and I wonder whether you have any insight as to how you've been able to do that. I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, why is it that you look at a situation and go, this is unacceptable, whereas someone else, um, like me maybe, just accepts it? Is there some key that you have that lets you do that? I mean, that's, that's a... That's a good question. I think uh, any answer would be conjecture <laughs> and or boasting. So I feel cornered here. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I don't think it's boasting if you say, yeah. I, when I look at a problem, I see this. That's just your process. Um, you know, I, I feel like I think it was having – you. So I got out of a stint in industry, and I, I had had enough. <laughs> I'd had enough Ruby. I had enough Rail. You know, I had enough uh, of programming for quite. Yeah, you know, I and I was I was highly sensitive to uh, the the suffering and the pain that that the process uh, can cause. And after basically a year and a half of not programming. Closure, you know, closure was in the middle of my radar, and I, I started working with closure, uh, maybe less than a year and a half, but, and I really enjoyed it, and, uh, but again, I, I think part of me was just waiting for, okay, where's the pain, you know, where's the, and so maybe I was just in the right, I was just in the right, like I'm, if there's too much pain in this, I'm leaving. <laughs> Okay. But instead of leaving, I was like, well, I can fix this, you know, or whatever. Um, and another thing was just – actually, I think that period of time gave me enough space to actually do – you know, this is what – yeah, I think this is a better answer to the question. That period of time gave me enough space to just do what I wanted to do. Does that make sense? So and, was this yeah. when you went and did the uh, the Second City thing? Uh, no, no, no. Okay. This is, this is long after. This okay. is years ago. Right now. Uh, this is just before writing Fig Wheel a year and a half ago or, you know, so like three years ago or four years ago, I, I left industry and took a big break. And, um, and I, again, I think this, this, the time of just not doing anything and being okay with not doing anything provided a lot of space, you know, no pressure, no, I have to be this, I have to do that, or, you know, and I think the space allowed, allowed me to see things uh, more clearly when I started playing uh, with computer programming again. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I would attribute it that, I would attribute it to that probably, because I, I had the idea for Figwheel and the dev cards, like, back to back, they just came along. And uh, actually, to continue on in this vein, my next thing that I'm working on in FigWheel is like very, very good configuration validation in contrast to the configuration validation we have for anything. <laughs> <laughs> so like kind of like, hey, you misspelled this word, you misspelled this key, it's in the wrong and it's in the wrong place. Maybe you should put it over here. And by the way, here's the documentation for that key kind of a thing. And again, I think it's, wow, people are really, really struggling with this. Uh, what would it look like if we just kind of eliminated it? I thought I saw a tweet from you the other day that was was pretty much exactly that. Hey, wouldn't it be great if this error message uh, failed to locate, nah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turned into, I think you meant this. Uh, if you if that's what you meant, then you should do this. Yeah, is that what yeah. you're talking about? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So what's the key to that? I mean, it, that sounds uh, in the limit. That sounds like uh, you know strong AI, right? Like I, obviously it's not that. So no, no, it's not strong AI. Yeah. It's just, but it, it's 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 kind of it's a trade off. I mean, I want it to to I want it to, you know, my initial expectations are not met by any. <laughs> My initial expectations for this tool are not being met yet, but uh, no, it's it's just it's more like I'm I'm using you know basic type inference algorithms 
you're right. I like Henley Milner or stuff like that, or like Henley Milner, like, and I don't even know. I'm not pronouncing that right. So that's, that's how okay. much I, I know how to pronounce that's, it either. I know what you're talking about though. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, and I know as much about it as I know how to pronounce it. So, <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm using type inference and, you know, in basic probability to be like, okay, this key, you know, I have a missing key here, or I have an unrecognized key here. Well, let's 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 look at our available space and see, you know, what's what's most likely to be the case, right? And just by defining types, you know, by defining types for, uh, you know, the various configurations, uh, the nested configuration space, um, you're you know you can get pretty far. That you can get you can get to a place where you've you've surpassed people's normal experience, which is like stack dump, stack dump, you know, like that's the normal experience, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, plug in, you know, we're normal. People check for a few things, uh, in a bespoke manner throughout their code, but you know, normally like, for example, um, for fig wheel, let's just take fig wheel. For example, um, if you mistype FigWheel, which is very easy to do, mm-hmm. and it's in the top level of your project CLJ, right? FigWheel, you know, that is not a required, <laughs> that's not a required configuration key for FigWheel to run, all right? You don't, it doesn't need to be there. FigWheel will still run. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that could be frustrating for people, right? I, I put in this configuration, I'm expecting to behave this way, and it's not behaving that way. And, you know, they could go back and forth all day long and not see that they transpose the H for the for the W. It, you know, and it's just not very friendly. <laughs> and and stuff like that, I think, abounds, not just in, in uh, closures culture, but in the JavaScript culture. It's like configuration... Uh, you know, it's, it's the last dirty detail and you add keys, you add more keys to it without really thinking about, you know, the experience of the person who's using it. I certainly did. So a couple things caught my ear there. One is you mentioned types and I'm, I'm wondering what exactly you meant by that. Are you, are you simply talking oh, okay. something like s- schema essentially, you know, this is a structure that yeah, like a schema. Okay. Exactly, exactly that. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Um, are, are you are you using what are they now? Plumatic, plumatic, right? Prism, what formerly prismatic schema, or did you, or is this something else that you're doing? Um, that? I wanted to use prismatic schema, but it didn't. Uh, its structure was based on, as far as I can tell, as far as I could tell from my using it for the trial period, is I couldn't really get in there in and iterate through the various paths, especially like in an or situation. Like you could have this type or that type, and I wanted to be able to reach in there and get that data and and query it. Mm. Um, And so Prismatic is, so it's really, it's optimized and it's optimized to be fast. Uh, It's not optimized for introspection. And so I kind of had to, of course, write my own. Well, it makes sense. I mean, the prismatic seems like it's there a little bit, but not, no, this isn't strictly true, but it seems like they're a little bit more oriented towards a binary yes, no, is this thing one of these? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, and, and with simple error, you know, with errors, they're like, this key is not recognized, you know, this, this required key is not there, you know, um, and things like that, which are extremely helpful. And if you have a Linegan plugin, that you're the author of, you should at the very least, you know, throw a prismatic schema on your configuration so that people can get like a, a real quick readout of they, if they did something wrong. So yeah. you, you, you wrote your own thing. Is that something that will be coming to light as its own independent? Maybe it already has. Uh, I've already admitted. I'm not no, thinking. no. Okay. All right. I, uh, only if it, only if it works. Okay. <laughs> That's a good criteria. Right. I, I wish more. Know. Go yeah. ahead. I wish more libraries would use that particular heuristic. <laughs> Only if it works. Uh, I'm I'm pretty. I have to say I'm pretty sheepish about it right now because I I've taken months. I've worked on it for way too long. I started with Core Logic because I thought, wow, this could be a great 
fun thing to do with CoreLogic. And then CoreLogic provided actually a lot of insight into the problem. Uh, but um, yeah, so I, bang, I, I banged back and forth through a few things trying to balance like speed and and actually and comprehend like a comprehensive view of what the possibilities are. So uh, yeah, right now the code is in that middling state. It, it's functional, but it, you know, it could definitely, you know, it's, it's the result of a harried search. If you consider programming a search problem, you know, it looks like I've, uh, I searched everywhere, but the right place. Uh, okay. Well, that's, it's interesting nonetheless. Um, and I, you know, I think, uh, regardless of how the search goes, I think the goal is an admirable one. And if it, if it serves that end, uh, fantastic, like better error messages is clearly something people care about based on the state of closure survey. Um, you know, it's, it consistently comes up again and again as a, as a, a thing that people, um, stub their toes on. Um, so the other thing I wanted to ask you about relates to that as well, which is, you know, how did you kind of, I, I mean, so, so I, I mean, I could look at, I, I guess it comes down to how you're determining what to say. I could imagine on the one hand, you're like, well, I'm going to write um, a tool that's going to, you know, have a set of, of rules that cover all the cases, right? That are like, okay, you meant this, the, the, you know, there's a general case of a key missing and I have something to say about this error whenever there's a key missing. Versus, and you kind of alluded to this, you know, uh, earlier, where you said you you could embed instead very specific rules. Oh, the foo key is missing. I will print a message that is specific to the foo key missing. I, I guess what I'm wondering is, you know, did you where on that spectrum did you land, and and did you use things like, well, I know that on the mailing lister or GitHub issues or whatever feedback mechanism that people are running into into this particular thing a lot. So I got to make sure I handle that particular scenario. Does that question make any sense? Oh, it makes a lot of sense. And they, I mean, the answer is simple as it's, there is nothing right now. There, there are no specific rules for specific keys, uh, you know, for specific schema. Yeah. It's not, there's no rule on there that says, Hey, if somebody does this particular mistake, uh, no, I tried to make it general, you know, for obvious reasons. Does that make sense? I totally yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 so far it's a general tool. And uh yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, you you said you think it's functional uh is this something that's in like the latest builds of Figwheel or how are people going to start seeing this soon or they're already seeing it? Where is it at? No, it's going to be it's going to be really by the time this podcast comes out for sure. It it will be it will have been released because it needs to. It needs to get out there. <laughs> I'm, I have to get this in people's hands because <laughs> cool. it's been in my hands way too long. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's by the time people should be uh, experiencing this by the time this podcast comes out. Fantastic. That that'll be interesting. Um, and and I, I, sorry, interesting is a word that people often use to mean you know good luck, buddy. I actually think uh, no, no, no. Given your track record, I, I think that um, I'm really, really interested to see because I think I think that type of thing, right, is is really important, right? Like the the human psychological elements. There's so much to explore in that space, and you know, in closure, we have the you know nothing's perfect, but we have the technical technical side of things covered really well. Like the, yeah. the technical qualities are just really 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 well done i mean you know rich and, and alex and all the people that contribute to closure are killing it on the and closure script obviously as well are you know killing it on the technical side so it's really cool to see uh people like you coming along and addressing some of the other um important factors in the development story oh yeah i it yeah it, well i the thing that comes to mind is you know, the, the hopefully the work that's going to be done on errors, especially macro errors. Did you? I don't know if you saw Colin Fleming's talk. I did. Yes. Uh, and th to me, to me that uh, you know, I, I agree with you in many ways. Like, I to me that is the frontier, right? I feel like we've got the technicals, we've got the technicals down, and some of these other problems are very challenging. You know, error messages on macros—it's a challenging problem. 
And uh, it's one that's been solved in, in other communities. And I think, you know, I don't know. I Based on people's responses to the State of Closure uh, 2015 survey, it seems like this is extremely important for people. And actually, if you look at the whole State of Closure survey, it seems like it's a referendum on we want tools with great feedback, right? People list the REPL, the interactive experience. They list, you know, as being extremely important to them. And they also list errors as being extremely important to them. And then, you know, FigWheel also made a debut, which again is, is like, hey, we want, we want quality feedback, uh, quality human feedback from, you know, from our tools, <laughs> you know, because it only helps us. And, you know, because programming is hard enough as it is. So hard. It's, yeah. Does, does that make sense? Am Absolutely. I answering the question? Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I was commenting to somebody just the other day. It's like, you know, we have, we have like, I, I don't know what the actual number is, but let, let's say there are, you know, 10 different types of feedback that are important, right, in, in development. And we have, I'm just going to, again, make up a number. But let's say right now we have, it feels like we have three of them. You know what I mean? We've got some some subset and and some of the other ones we don't have at all in closure right like we have exactly. the rep, the repl the repl's amazing it's like i type something and it immediately exists and i can play around with it etc and you've done similar things with dev cards and fig wheel but you know there's other things too like i think um i think i i know people have taken cracks at this and 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 it, and i haven't surveyed the landscape so maybe there's something out there that's awesome but in terms of the sphere of things that i personally use on a day-to-day -day basis um, visualizing uh, large data structures. I don't have yeah. a tool in my hands that lets me do that. And it would be useful every single day that I program Clojure. Absolutely. Every single, absolutely. Especially if it was available with a quick, you know, key combination, you know, on an existing, you know, defined data type. I mean, it would just be, that would be amazing, right? Mm -hmm. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I don't, I have a question. Is there like we have these wonderful persistent data structures which have a tree of their existence? It'd be really like when I first used Clojure, I, I looked for the history function to apply to uh, a map. I was like, "There's got to be a function that gives me the history of its values." You know, I was like disappointed. I was like, "Oh." Well, there's Darn. a good reason for that, though, right? <laughs> uh, performance. Uh, well, garbage in particular, right? Like if you, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, you got. I mean, you know, but but I think, nonetheless. But, but even the last ten frames. Right. Right. It, I I want it to be collected, but the la you know the last ten frames as a programmer, you know the last yeah, <laughs> yeah. would be extremely valuable. Like, you know that you know we don't we're lucky that we don't have this. How did this global, you know, how did this like state and this object get to this point? I mean, we're really lucky not to have that enclosure as much as other languages, but we definitely have the, how did this function get this value? You know, <laughs> how did this value come to exist and come to exist? Because I'm really curious right now. And uh, I would love to know, uh, you know, the last, I don't know, I would love to know, you know, what were the last 10 steps this value took in its lifetime or 20 values? Mm -hmm. You know, I think tools could have a heyday with that, especially if trace it like, you know, tracing was uh, built into it in terms of like file line numbers and stuff like that. But oh, anyway. Oh yeah. Or combine it with yeah. visualization and say, you know, we have anybody that's absolutely right. Yeah. Like you can picture it, right. You can say, okay, the code went here. And yeah. then here was the tree before, and here's the tree after with the new parts in green and the parts that yeah. went away in red. You could imagine that being Absolutely. super useful. Absolutely. And again, I think to me, I feel like I, I feel like we're agreeing in that. Like to me, this this is more of a frontier. Uh, I, I mean, this I don't know. I feel like there's a lot more opportunity here to invite people to closure. You know. Like, it's a lot more opportunity to gain a lot more closure users is with things like this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, that's a fascinating discussion. I, I, we we probably should start to um to wind down here so as not right. to, to not to make the show the the two hours that I would that I would <laughs> discussion that I would love to have with you. You know, you and I talked. I think it was at Strange Loop. Was that that's where we last yep. saw each other? Yep. Yeah. Yep. It was a fun conversation. So I knew that that today I could easily fall into um, having another one of those. But, uh, you know, we do like to keep the shows under under three hours, just to, out of mercy <laughs> to our listeners. Um, uh, but I, I, I can't let you go without asking about one more thing. I think uh, uh, Kim, uh, in particular, <laughs> said, oh, you got to make sure you ask him about uh, about geodesic domes. This is something oh. <laughs> that you have an interest in, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's oh, I mean, temporary shelter in general, uh, I've, always, I've always had an interest in. I mean... I'm a minimalist and not by discipline. It's just, it's, it's neurotic, you know, I don't know why, but I, I'm kind of a minimalist. I don't like to have tons of stuff and I don't know. Uh, but I've always been fascinated with temporary shelter and I've always, I, I was a carpenter back in the day. I've always liked building things with my hand as, as you do, mm-hmm. I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so and temporary structures have the, the advantage in that, you, you know, you can build them and live in them without, like, it being a huge production, right? You can you can experiment. You can try things out. And so much like program, you know, programming is accessible in the sense that your raw materials are always available. Well, temporary shelter has the same experience, right? You can design. You can think about it. But then when it comes time to build it. You're not gonna you're you're not gonna break the bank, uh, and you're not gonna. So, I don't know. I've always experimented with it. I've always had uh, you know various dreams and whatnot. But uh, I I did settle on this one design, the one that I'm currently is currently my bedroom, my glorified bedroom, of sorts. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a simple. Uh, I mean, you can read about it on my my website, and I guess most people are. I, I don't know how much to say about it or what to say about it, other than it's it's uh, it's a geodesic dome that has no frame. Uh, it's basically corrugated plastic sheets on the inside, uh, corrugated plastic sheets on the outside with two layers of uh, like let's say blue board styrofoam insulation, if that means anything. So the skin is very thin, but it's actually for around here, the insulation value is uh, really, really high. Uh, it's kind of amazing synergistically, like all the materials work together to keep it up. And we're talking about like a quarter of an inch of plastic on the inside, a quarter of an inch on the plastic on the outside, and two, you know, three quarter inch uh, slices of styrofoam between them. And they all kind of work together to create structure and strength. And so there's no wasted uh material that's very cool i I know that i I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of being surprised by the strength when you think about the individual materials like when i make i've done some cabinetry right you know bookshelves and things like that yeah yeah, and i'm always amazed you know you take you know uh, like a bookshelf is basically two sides and a top and a bottom right and if you think about attaching something like that that's a rectangle it's it's really quite weak right absolutely like one yeah. good shove yeah. on the corners and you can destroy the whole thing <laughs> until until you put either uh what's called the face frame on it which i'm sure you're familiar with some people might be mm-hmm. as well or uh, and or you nail on the back and i'm always even though i've done it enough times to know better now i'm always amazed that when i do either of those things this whole thing suddenly becomes like almost rigid. indestructibly rigid, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's a quarter inch of plywood on the back or these little thin, you know, inch and a half wide pieces of wood on the front. And it just, it just makes yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. thing like crazy strong. It's very cool. Math is cool. Math is cool. <laughs> Math is definitely cool. Stay in school kids. Um, well, awesome. So uh, Bruce, we do have a few minutes uh, remaining. If, if there's anything else today that you, you think that we should talk about, um, if not, I will say to you what I say to all of our other so interesting guests, which is, um, you know, uh, come back again and and talk to us some more some other time about the about fig wheel or about whatever else. But uh, but like I say, we certainly have a little more time today. If, uh, if there's anything that you're especially excited about that you want to talk about on the show right here. Oh my goodness! Um, Can always save it for our next you know, conversation. You know, wasn't there? Isn't there like an advice question or something? Oh yeah, like we're that? gonna come to that in a second. So I do have the one. Oh question okay, for you. yeah, you bet. 
Let's skip to that. All right, no problem. So, so then we will go ahead to that part, which is the the part we always end the show on. Uh, it's our last question for you, and the question is that we ask you to share a piece of advice. Um, this could, as we always say, be a piece of advice you've been given or one that you like to give. Well, I've actually expanded it recently to say it could also be bad advice. I don't know, you know, like uh, as a sort of counterexample. Well, but uh, whatever you'd like to share is, of course, the rule. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty conscious that any advice could be bad advice, even no matter how good you think it is. You know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, taken out of context. So, I, I mean... I think one of the things I've suffered from the most, I think, in programming and professionally and in life is is just uh, the, the incessant self-criticism or, you know, and people people might – some people identify with that and understand what I say when I say that. Or um, if not incessant self-criticism, there's always a monkey of some kind like on our back that – Oh, you know, you you know, just work on it for another three hours. You'll be done. It's almost done. It's almost done. You know, keep going, keep going. You know, this this sense of pressure, uh, that is, I don't know. I I've experienced it so much as a programmer to where, you know, my expectations of myself, uh, are somehow actually hiding, you know, a lack of self worth. Right, these high expectations we have of ourselves. Well, we said we'd get it done. Uh, it should be done. Why isn't it done? Well, it's not done because it's hard, and it is what it is. Uh, and or and or we made a mistake, which is human. And so I, I think, especially for programmers, but I mean everybody else. Let's assume there's only programmers listening to this show. <laughs> but probably uh, not far you know, off. <laughs> you know, programmers and twelve-year-olds who are programmers. Um, I, you know, it's just, it, we're all human, you know, take it easy on yourself. And if you feel like a clenched fist or stress just creeping into your shoulders, there's no way it's going to make you produce better work. There, I, I mean, I say that as, as an absolute, I, I guess for some people, they, it really works it, it doesn't work for me, and it appears to be very destructive for a lot of people I see and know. So just take it easy on yourself, uh, you know. And for people who already are, that's great. But, but uh, um, yeah, do you have anything to add to that? No, I, I think it's great advice. I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about, uh, and, I, and I suspect – maybe this is projection, but uh, I don't know. Um, I suspect that a lot of our listeners do as well. Um, you know, I just don't think that that is that uncommon in – because let's face it. You know, it's it's the case right now that if you're – if you're if one is doing closure, you probably sought it out, right, on your own. Like, you know, yeah. it's unlikely that you did it because that's where all the jobs are or because your boss said you have to. Maybe that's, that's true, true for some people. It's more true than it used to be. But, you know, I think the majority of people I talk to – chose it they're they're self-driven and I, and I think that there is a real correlation between um you know seeking to improve seeking to uh, learn to stretch yourself and um and what you were talking about with being unable to kind of um contextualize it appropriately right like to say you know I want to be really really good and today I got better but I, I'm not perfect. Like that's the ideal and I think a lot of us – I'll only speak for myself. I know that I fall short of that sometimes. Some days I'm like, I want to be better. I'm not better. That's not good and I feel bad about it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. It, I, I mean I can't agree more and I don't know. It's, it's, just, it's just funny. It's, it's funny because – I think most of the people who I see suffer from this are such hard workers right? and they've done so much good work and they, you know, and it's not that they deserve to have an ice cream cone or this or that, but they, you know, at the end of the day or even during the day, there's, I mean, you don't need to feel like, 
like you're, you know, like you're doing it wrong all the time. I mean, it's almost impossible to do it right. All right. You know? Well, that's great advice. And so I appreciate you sharing that with our listeners. Uh, I hope that uh, some of them will find it helpful as, as I have. It's always good to be reminded of that. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, like I said, your name came up <laughs> frequently uh, as people we should talk to, and uh, and I'm glad we did because it was super fun. So uh, thanks a boatload for coming on the show. We'll have to have you back sometime soon. Oh, man, Craig, thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you again, man. Absolutely. Uh, and and I, I, uh, I hope you're going to Strangely a lot so that I'll see you there as well this year. I hope I'm going too. All right, cool. Okay. All right, well, I'll run into you somewhere anyway, but uh, we will go ahead and call it there. Uh, thanks right. again to Bruce. It's been great having you, and this has been the Cognacat. You have been listening to the Cognacast. The Cognacast is a production of Cognitech Inc. Cognitech are the makers of Datomic and we provide consulting services around it, closure, and a host of other technologies to businesses ranging from the smallest startups to the Fortune 50. You can find us on the web at Cognitech.com and on Twitter at Cognitech. You can subscribe to the Cognicast, listen to past episodes, and view cover art, show notes, and episode transcripts at our home on the web, Cognitech.com podcast. You can contact the show by tweeting at Cognicast or by emailing us at podcast at Cognitech.com. Our guest today was Bruce Hauman on Twitter at vhauman, V-H-A-U-M-A-N. Episode cover art is by Michael Parento. Audio production by Russ Olson and Damian Mack. The Cognicast is produced by Kim Foster. Our theme music is Thumbs Up for Rock and Roll by Kill the Noise with Feed Me. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 